may uh, argue with me about that one, but uh, my wife and I have a child of our own, though, and we have another on the way, so we're rethinking the Christmas traditions we inherited. We're asking questions like, which traditions would we like to carry forward? And it's not going to be the hallway one, I'll tell you that. (laughs) Which traditions are we going to leave behind, and are there any new traditions that we would like to adopt for our kids? The verdict is still out, but one tradition that's under scrutiny in the Smith household is gift-giving. Stephanie and I recognize that we live in a culture that prizes stuff more than stuff deserves. We, too, are infected with this disease. We, too, feel the pull for more stuff than we need. But the truth is, we don't need more stuff. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. Psalm 23 says, I have learned to be content in plenty and in want, the Apostle Paul says. And again, Paul says, boundless riches are available to us in Christ. So we feel a tension between our identity as Christ followers and the tradition of gift giving that just piles the stuff on and on especially in light of the inequalities that we see in our world today. Here's an example. Americans spent $60 billion this past Black Friday. But consider this. I looked it up. According to the best estimates, guess how much it would cost to end extreme global poverty? And I mean to completely eradicate it. No more starving children. No more unsafe drinking water. No more preventable deaths. The estimate, it cost about 60 billion a year. If funneled to the right organizations and the right churches, 60 billion dollars could eliminate extreme poverty in the world. 60 billion a year could accomplish this for our world's children, the exact amount Americans spent on Black Friday on Christmas gifts. So, there's a tension. (laughs) And as an act of Christian discipleship, we're wondering about the practice of gift-giving. And we're not alone. Thankfully, we have friends who have kids who are older than than ours, and they've already put into this practice a new tradition around gift-giving. Here's what they do as, as an obedient act to Jesus and his ways of sacrificial love. Instead of burying their kids with stuff on Christmas morning, as if that's what Jesus would want for his birthday, Instead, they give four gifts to their kids. They give their kids something they want, something they need, something to read, and something to share. Something they want, need, read, and share. In other words, gifts to enjoy and gifts to share. Gifts to enjoy, gifts to share. Something similar is happening in our scripture passage for today. God is certainly no cosmic Santa Claus, but God is definitely a generous gift giver. God is not stingy, but generous. We see in today's passage, God giving his people two gifts for Christmas, a gift to enjoy and a gift to share. Actually, they are one and the same gift, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's see for ourselves God's generosity at work, recorded by the prophet Isaiah, chapter 42 of the book that bears his name. Isaiah 42, 1 through 9. 
Before we read, let us pray our Advent prayer of illumination. Blessed Lord, who caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord from the book that we love. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his teaching. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeons, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no others, nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. This is the word of the Lord. Here is my servant, God the Father says. Here is a gift for you to enjoy. He is my chosen, the one in whom my soul delights, God says. I've put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations, and the coastlands wait for his teaching. But we're post-Christmas people, are we not? There's no need to wait any longer, friends. This servant spoken of in the prophet Isaiah is the one who has come to us on Christmas morning 2,000 years ago, and now he is here for all of us to enjoy. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. If that's not in the songs tonight, put that on the hymn list. Yeah, Chad? Hymn list. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. That's the ultimate gift for you and I to enjoy this Christmas, says God the Father. Will you enjoy him this Christmas? Now, I know some of you are suffering. It's hard to find much joy in anything. Just last night, I was with the family of Jack and Millie Kaiser and the three boys, the teenagers, lost their mother, and siblings, mother, lost their daughter. They are suffering and they need our prayers and support and the help of the Spirit of Jesus. 
Come, Lord Jesus. That's our cry of Advent. Come, Lord Jesus, and come soon. And perhaps you've been there too, suffering, grieving, and it's hard to find much joy in anything. But here's the thing according to the scriptures. Suffering and joy are not incompatible, so they claim. One does not exclude the other. Not if you have the hope of the gospel within you. This is the hope that promises followers of Jesus that the end is not the end. This is the hope that dares to say that God can and will work good even out of tragedy toward those who love him. This is the hope that Jesus himself had as he marched toward the lynching tree, the cross. For the writer of Hebrew tells us that it was for the sake of joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. The joy and the suffering were brought together in Jesus. So even if you are suffering, the question remains, will you enjoy the gift of the servant spoken of in Isaiah this Christmas? But he's not just a gift for you and I to enjoy. I've given him, the Father says, for the sake of all nations, to be a light to all nations. So if you enjoy him, share him. This Christmas, receive the gift of my servant, the Father says. My servant whom I enjoy deeply, receive my servant who brings love and joy and peace into your life. The more open your heart is, the more you'll receive his benefits. But don't stop there. This is the gift that keeps on giving, as we say. If you enjoy the gift, then share the gift. Pay it forward. This is a gift to enjoy, but it's also a gift to share. Do you hear what God is saying, people of Heartland? Will you share the gift of the servant this Christmas? According to Christian tradition, the servant described in Isaiah 42, if you haven't guessed it yet, is none other than Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus of Nazareth is none other than God. That is the scandal of the gospel. God the Son. It's God the Son who enters the story of human history as one of us, the eternal one entering time. Or as John put it, the word become flesh and dwelling among us. That is the gift to enjoy. It's the gift of God's very own self, Emmanuel, God dwelling with us, God given to you. Taste and see that the Lord is good this Christmas. But why does God decide to dwell among us? He dwells among us to make things right. As Isaiah prophesies in verse 5, he will not grow faint or be crushed until what? Until he has established justice in the earth. He comes to establish justice in the earth. Not just in the heavens, but what does the text say? In the earth. Or as Stephanie read earlier, peace on earth, the angels sing. This isn't just a vertical justice, a justice between you and God through the forgiveness of sins. It is certainly that. Jesus 
is certainly making you right with God. But it's also a horizontal justice. A justice that can truly be called justice in the earth. That's the message of all the prophets. And that's the reason some young Christians like my friends are rethinking gift-giving and challenging us to do the same. It has everything to do with Jesus' mission to work justice into the earth. This work of justice, God begins in the fragile womb of a Jewish teenager. (laughs) What an idea. This work of justice, God continues when his body is crushed for you and for your neighbor and for your enemy on the cross. This work of justice, God guarantees when that same physical body is raised from the dead, proving that life in Christ is stronger than death. And in the end, nothing can crush it. What's more, all of this God carries forward into our own day through the Spirit. The Spirit poured out on Jesus is then poured out on those who follow him. And now you and I, are the chosen ones to be a light to the nations. The church is now God's instrument to bring justice to the nations in the earth. That, my friends, is a gift to enjoy. God is a gift to us this Christmas. God, in all God's awesome holiness and mystery and wonder, made readily relatable in Jesus. God and all God's power and might, choosing weakness so that we might become strong in Jesus, even when we are depressed and weak and struggling. God, in all God's joy and delight, showing compassion on the human race, even delighting in us, warts and all. God, forgiving us in Christ, restoring us, putting his own spirit in us so that we might never be alone again, so that we might never be bored again. If that's not a gift to enjoy this Christmas, I don't know what is. But I suppose if you don't receive this gift, though it is extended to all, then you will try to find substitutes, maybe piling yourself with stuff, or stuffing your calendar with things you label important. Or stuffing your mouth with food so that if your soul feels empty, well, at least your belly doesn't. But the substitutes never really satisfy like the real thing. And the real thing is God. God is the real gift. God's very own life opened up, inviting you to come and join the dance, to to enjoy, to delight, taste and see that the Lord is good. Will you enjoy your Lord this Christmas? But Jesus is not not only a gift to enjoy, he's also a gift to share. So will you share him this Christmas? Let's return to our passage to see this movement unfold, this movement from enjoying the gift to sharing the gift. In the first four verses, God poetically describes the coming of his servant, If you didn't catch it, three times the word mishpat is used, the word translated justice. And it's used three times so we don't gloss over the purpose of this servant. 
It's to establish justice in the earth, vertically and horizontally. And as post-Christmas people, we know that the servant talked about here is Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, and the coastlands wait for his teaching. But who will carry on his ministry? Who will teach the coastlands? Who will further the mission, on Jesus, the mission of Jesus on earth? Verse 6, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand, and I have kept you. In other words, I have given you a gift to enjoy, and it's the gift of a loving, interactive relationship with God, your maker. But God doesn't stop there. God continues. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. In other words, this salvation gift is the type of gift that is to be shared. Now, when I first read this passage, I was struck especially by this one phrase, I have given you as a covenant to the people. I was struck by it because I had absolutely no idea what it meant (laughs) until I read these words from a commentary on Isaiah. It says, Covenant is the gift of divine grace, but also the basis of the church's mission. God's gracious purposes for the nations of the world is now embodied in the church. In other words, the gift of this special relationship with Jesus, this covenant, is to be enjoyed and savored with utmost delight and wonder. But it's also to be shared. In fact, that's an essential part of the arrangement. We cannot enjoy Jesus without sharing Jesus, at least not in its entirety. Maybe that's another reason far too few of us Christians actually enjoy God on a regular basis. We don't share him. Eugene Peterson's The Message paraphrase of Isaiah 42 clears up the confusion even further on this covenant business. It reads, I am God. I have called you to live right and well. I have taken responsibility for you, kept you safe, and I have set you among my people to bind them to me. That's how he translates the covenant part. I have set you, the church, among the rest of my non-church people to bind them to me, to bring them closer to my love and my light. And I have provided you as a lighthouse to the nations to make a start at bringing people into the open, into light, opening blind eyes, releasing prisoners from dungeons, emptying the dark prisons, even the dark prisons of our very own souls. I don't know about you, but I have a lot of room to grow this Christmas and into the new year of 2019. When it comes to enjoying Jesus by sharing Jesus with those who don't know Jesus, I have a lot of room to grow. Maybe you do too. Maybe we can grow together in 2019. How's that sound? A few nods. (laughs) But since I do not feel like I qualify as an example to follow on sharing Jesus, at least not yet, let me point you to someone who is. 
His name is Josh Banner. Josh was my former worship pastor at Hope College for several years. He led me in the delight and enjoyment of God in a deep and rich way that I had never known before. And now he's what's called a spiritual director, a spiritual director, directing people to the Spirit of God. But he's not just any spiritual director. His primary office is the Muskegon Correctional Facilities. And this is what he does for fun. He goes into the prison and guides groups of men through a curriculum of discipleship, or, as our text says, releasing prisoners from dungeons, emptying the dark prisons. Now, he guides these men spiritually using the principles of the 12-step recovery program, but it's adapted to illustrate a path towards spiritual growth. So in other words, he shares Jesus with these men. But in reality, as he would put it, these men are actually sharing Jesus with him more than anything. That's his experience. This is the setting, and this, this is what got me. This is the setting, Josh claims, in this prison. This is the setting that has given him the most profound joy in the past year. That's what he claims, and if I didn't know him, I would, wouldn't believe him, to be honest. <laughs> He also says that these are the people who have given him the most sustenance in the Christian faith in the past year. So I want to close with this story that gives us a closer look at his joy in prison. Now Josh is not allowed to take a smartphone with him into the prison. He can't videotape what's going on. He can't record anything. There's no way of showing people exactly why this gives him so much joy unless they go with him. And that's what one of his former students does. This student's name is Micah. And what's really cool is that Micah narrates his experience, his first encounter with, with Josh in the prisons. He narrates it on Josh's podcast. I've already posted this podcast on Heartland's Facebook page, so you can check it out later there if you'd like. But here's a snippet of, of what they call an audio essay which is Micah's experience going with Josh to his place of joy called Muskegon Correctional Facilities. So I'll just tell it, I'll just, these are his words, these are Micah's words. Um, so they enter the prison, and Josh and Micah, they're led by a guard to a building called the school, and then, in Micah's own words, an announcement is broadcast over the speakers. Spiritual direction will now be meeting in the school. This announcement is hilarious to Josh. He whips his arm around in a mock cowboy rodeo motion and says, Come on down, get yourself some spiritual direction. As the men enter the room, they shake hands with everyone, ensuring that each inmate and each visitor is seen and known by everyone else in the room. It's a heartwarming practice, the sincerity of which I have seen nowhere else. Josh begins with a few words about the value of what we're about to do. This is not a prison ministry, he tells them. His goal is not to bring God into the prison. God is in the prison already. Our purpose this morning is to sit together in stillness and quiet and attend to the divine presence, a presence that did not enter the prison that morning in our squeaky clean, law-abiding pockets. And after several minutes of silence, discussion follows. 
It flows freely and without prompting. This is an opportunity for the men to be open and emotionally raw with each other. Occasions for deep vulnerability are, as you may guess, not always common in this particular venue. Josh invites the men to teach them about life in prison, and they do, with wisdom, restraint, and humor, and without bitterness, self-pity, and malice, evidence that these men don't need a prison ministry. At the conclusion of the morning session, we stand and hold hands. A brief psalm prayer is sung. Everyone says goodbye to everyone else with handshakes and hugs. Is that what you thought? could go on in a prison. (laughs) Upon prayerfully reflecting on this experience, Micah says this, he says, it's my impression that prison clay tends to be more moldable than church clay, that prison children tend to be more invested in the work of growth and spiritual maturity than church children. How about this for a prison ministry? Prisoners ministering to church folks, teaching them to pay attention to Jesus. And then he tells of his own growth through this experience. He says, We don't grow when we're comfortable. If I don't continually pursue the benefits of discomfort, I will never be less of a but than I am now. That's the PG version. (laughs) And he continues his prayer for reflection. He says, This gets back to our joy. Joyful living is rare. Because it's countercultural. It's countercultural because it involves the rejection of the stuff we're taught to prize and the pursuit of the abundance we're taught to disbelieve in. I was comfortable and I was bored, so I went to the prison looking for discomfort. What I found was life and light. I saw generosity and warmth and goodness among convicted felons. If this people, who are assumed to be the most dangerous and morally low and spiritually lacking, are in fact making a devoted effort to increase their sensitivity to God's voice, how shall we we respond? We shall be encouraged to go and do likewise. So my friends, let us go and do likewise. Let us enjoy Jesus this Christmas, and let us also share Jesus as these prisoners shared Jesus with Josh and Micah. And this will involve getting uncomfortable, but as Christians, we must become comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's just part of following the suffering servant. It's part of sharing Jesus. We must reject the God of comfort, and it has grown into a false God in our culture For we don't grow when we're comfortable, neither can we further Jesus' mission in the comforts of our own Christian circles. As one pastor says, how can we be light in the darkness when we only hang out with other candles? But light in the darkness we must be, for the prophet Isaiah declares it, and light in the darkness we will be if we will find true joy in Jesus. So let your light shine, my friends. Let it shine in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.